Hello and welcome to the podcast from That's Not My Age. I'm Alison Walsh. I'm a journalist, author and blogger and I'd like to invite you to join this conversation. I'll be interviewing lots of brilliant people about life and style and getting older. It's a grown-up guide. Hope you enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to the That's Not My Age podcast. Today we have a special guest, Dr. Liz O'Riordan. Um, hello, Liz. Hi, it's great to talk to you today. You too. Thank you. Thank you. Especially thank you for joining us. As I know you're going to New York tomorrow and I've been busy packing. So thank you for squeezing us in. I know you're welcome. Liz, you're known for being the breast surgeon who was diagnosed with breast cancer, the sort of doctor term patient. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a bit about your career as a surgeon and, and, then, and what happened in 2015 when you were diagnosed? Yes, I first started training to be a doctor back in 1993 in Cardiff. And I had five years at medical school and then I had three years doing my junior surgical training and then I had to do a PhD because you needed to have um, letters after your name to get the next step up in the training. So I spent four years in the dungeons of the local hospital looking at pathology slides. And then I moved to East Anglia to finish my surgical training. And I became a consultant in 2013. Um, and I specialized in breast cancer surgery, so mainly operating on women who had breast cancer. And I loved it. It was a bit like dressmaking. You can reshape and recreate and mold the breast and hide the scars. And I loved being able to hopefully give women that feeling of confidence after they'd had their cancer removed. And I'd had a couple of breast cysts um, and my mammograms are all normal. And I saw another cyst in July 2015 and I wasn't worried. And it was only my mum who said, look, will you just go and get it checked out? Fine. And I went along to see my friend who in another hospital because I didn't want my own team talking about me, even though I knew it was a cyst and my mammogram was normal. And I had an ultrasound and I turned to look at the screen because I do ultrasounds myself. And in that split second, I saw a cancer. I didn't need to wait for a biopsy. And I knew because I was young, I was 40 and it was big that I need chemo, that I'd need a mastectomy. I had a good idea what my 10 year survival would be. And I suddenly found myself having every single treatment I gave my patients. Oh, my God. Because you are a doctor and this is your spe specialist yeah. area, you knew exactly what was going to happen. So was that, did that freak you, freak you out at all? Completely. I knew too much. I've looked after women who've died of breast cancer. I've seen the complications. I couldn't unsee that. And it was like I was working at how much of the crazy stuff inside my head do I tell my husband and my family? Because they don't need to know that it might come back. They're still dealing with the fact it's cancer. And I actually, I rang my mum and dad and I said, I'll be calling you in a couple of days to tell you I have breast cancer. And don't be silly. No, I will. Trust me. And my surgeon, before, before I left that very first day, she said, where do you want to be treated? Because I don't know whether I can, because we were good friends. And I almost went into denial. It's like this light bulb switched off and I was floating ahead looking at this all happening to somebody else because it couldn't be happening to me. I imagine it must be like, I don't know, like when you see a film or a video and it's like fast forwarding and you were seeing all these things that were, were going to happen to you yeah. in the future. And there's the there's a terrifying aspect of I'm going to find what chemotherapy is really like. 
And how bad will it be? And will I cope? And that fear of the unknown and realizing this is what my patients feel. I had no idea what they go through. I know you've said that having chemo made you realize how little you knew. Yeah. So I, I knew you lost the hair on your head. And I remember asking a friend when your hair started to fall out because I wasn't going to wear a wig. I was going to have my head shaved and I wanted to book in with the hairdressers. And she said, well, your pubes fall out on day 10. And I went, what? I didn't realize you lost all your body hair. It's like one night you wake up with smooth legs, like are the little bugs in the bed just stripping it in a night, all the hair in your body. And just what it's like to be constipated for 10 days with bleeding piles and anal fissures crying on the toilet and what it's like to lose your sense of taste and everything you eat and drink is disgusting. But for me, I was a triathlete. I was a fit and healthy sportswoman and I had to stop to catch my breath to go up one flight of stairs. That real sense of honest goodness fatigue. It was just, they thought, I'm fit and 40 and we do this to people a lot older than me. How on earth did they cope? I mean, and initially you went back to work, didn't you? Yeah, I did. So I had I had um, nine months of treatment, chemo, a mastectomy and radiotherapy, and I went back to work. It, that was a really difficult decision, partly guided by the fact that I'd written my book, The Complete Guide to Breast Cancer. And I kind of felt I've still got to be the breast surgeon with breast cancer to promote the book. But I still wanted to help pay people, but tell them everything I knew. And I realized I still have to be the bad guy. I can't tell them, yes, this is horrible. It's the end of the world, but I'll get you through it. And have you thought about this? Because I had to be the one to give bad news. But telling people they had cancer, it was like flashbacks to me. And you see the the wobble and they squeeze the husband's hand and they look at the floor. Then there's a stiff upper lip. They thought, God, that's what I look like. And it was really hard reliving it two mm. or three times a day. It must have been quite traumatic. Yeah. And people didn't know because I've been very active on social media. I blogged all the way through chemo under my married name of Ariadon, but I worked under my maiden name as Ball. So nobody knew. And it was hard for my colleagues because they knew I'd had cancer, but they didn't know the details. And it was that like treading on toes. Liz, can you handle dealing with someone who's younger than you? And not being able to treat me properly because what they knew and what they didn't, it, it was really, really, really hard. Your life's completely changed over the last seven years. And now you no longer work as a surgeon. You are you help other women and health professionals through your public speaking mm. um, and have written your book, The Complete Guide to Breast Cancer. What are you doing? Like, I mean, it's so important. Does it feel like a calling, like this is what you were meant to do? It's weird. I think it does. I think... It's a cliche, but all I ever wanted to do was to help people. And yeah. I define my life by being a surgeon. I'd spent 20 years training to do this one thing. I had no life outside. And I had a local recurrence on my chest wall. So I lost my implant and the side effects of that meant I couldn't operate. But psychologically, I don't think I could have dealt with cancer patients, but I was at a loss. What do I do? I'm 43. I have no life. I need money. And I'd I'd got amazing responses to blogs um, mm. and just people writing in and saying, thank you for explaining it. And I realized I could use my voice not just to help patients, but to help doctors and nurses. And it's just led to someone saying, could you come and talk to us? And then I'll talk to somebody else. And now social media, I get so many messages a day just asking, can you explain this? Can you do it? And I love it. I also quite like the theater of public speaking. There's something about making a room full of men cry. I, I, I can't wait to get back to, to public speaking rather than virtual face-to-face. -face. But it's like I was meant to do this. 
and I am so much so happier now doing what I'm doing. Um, every day's different. Um, it's hard because all I talk about is cancer and I'm trying to move out of that, but I yeah. keep coming back and you kind of, when someone dies, you think, oh, that's a bit too close to home. But yeah, it's like a whole second career that I could never have imagined, but I love as much as I love being a surgeon. That's amazing. So do you miss being, ever miss being a surgeon? I do. Or do you feel I, like you've kind of moved on? The thing that kills me is I can't remember my last operation or I didn't know it was my last. I was waiting to get the results of my recurrence biopsy. I was a bit snitty with the registrar helping me who was a locum. It didn't, it wasn't my best effort. And if I'd have known that was the last time I'd scrub up. And that was the great thing about COVID. Washing your hands for 20 seconds was just like scrubbing up. And I miss being in a room full of people thinking, right, we're going to, we're going to do something amazing today. I really missed because it's lonely being at home by yourself working mm. from home. And I missed I miss that people contact. But I still I sew and I bake. I have different ways of using my hands now. So the surgeon is still in me. And you do, actually you make a lot of your own clothes, don't you? Yeah, I do. I, my mum got me a sewing machine for my 30th birthday. Um, and I thought, really? How boring is that? <laughs> This is so uncool. I'm 30. I have a sewing machine. Sorry, mum, if you're listening. But I made curtains. I made curtains for my house. And then I got into quilts. Um, I was off with depression and I made a couple of quilts um, really slowly over the winter. And then I just thought we buy the fast fashion. We buy something. We wear it a couple of times. It falls to pieces. And I thought I want to wear the colors I want to wear and buy something that I need that I know I will love that I know where it's come from. Plus, I'll save money, which is a lie because the amount of fabric I have stashed waiting to be turned into clothes. We'll just say it's all free. <laughs> but I love being able to say, oh, I like that. I'll copy that. And I can make it fit in my new figure because I don't have a breast on the left hand side. I love it. But what I do need as a surgeon, as a consultant, you'd get the junior doctor to come in and finish the wound and tie up all the ends and threads. And I'd love someone to come and finish the sewing and the knitting. <laughs> I'm not very good at that, that, that end bit. So have you got loads of uh, half-finished garments? Or I've got a couple. I've been trying to finish them all, and I've got so many plans for the summer, but it's just having that time, three or four days, where I can just sit and enjoy doing something beautiful. I did manage to get some dead stock Alexander McQueen fabric. It's white double cotton um, with a yellow swallow on, and I've got a beautiful <sighs> 70s maxi dress I'm going to make. Because it's such a beautiful fabric, I've got to make a test version first, just in case I make a mistake. But Oh, yeah. I love yeah. that you can you can wear a McQueen outfit by just finding the fabric. So you kind of actually, just to sort of continue, I feel like that you have developed your quite singular sense of style over the last few years. Like, you know, you're kind of stay, you're really lovely glasses, very cool statement glasses. Your clothes are sort of vibrant. You like a good jump, like myself, you love a good oh, jumpsuit. Love a jumpsuit. <laughs> um, and this has been a conscious decision. If you said you know after the cancer you've kind of I don't know it's definitely changed so before cancer I had my uniform at work I wore long swishy maxi dresses and four or five inch heels and I had long hair and that was my look and then out of work I lived in dog walking clothes with holes in because that that's my life dogs and ducks in the country <laughs> and then I lost my hair and I lost my breast and I spent a year just living in chemo clothes. Um, I couldn't wear heels anymore because it ruins your feet and your toenails. So I couldn't, how did I ever wear five inch heels? I've no idea. And then as I came out of chemo, I thought, well, my dresses don't suit me anymore because I don't have a breast and I don't know how to style my short hair. And where do I shop? Because I live near Bury St. Edmunds, which is quite a small market town. It's either Dorothy Perkins and Topshop where my nieces go or Country Casuals where my grandma go 
where does a 40 something woman buy her clothes? And then chemo and online shopping. And it was kind of, plus the colors I could wear didn't suit me anymore. When you, when you go gray, it changes your skin tone. And suddenly I could wear bright colors. And I discovered I love yellow. And I got some really funky glasses to hide my lack of eyebrows during chemo. A bit like Iris Apfel, big, huge black frames, which had red stilettos at the end. It's like I can spend money on glasses because I know I will always look good with glasses. (laughs) And it just became about this suits me now and I like it and I'm going to get rid of everything else that I should that I bought because magazines told me I should. Mm. Um, But it's taken a while to grow into it. Um. But it's fun being able to experiment and just wear bright colours and think no one's actually really looking at you. Yeah, no, it's very cool. And I like your hair as well because your hair changes colours. There's sometimes it's kind of pink or blue. So I've I've always had a natural grey stripe in my parting that I spent hours dyeing. And then when it came back grey, I quite like the white badger stripe. And then I'll dye it blue or I'll dye it green and I'll try a Mohican. And that's the beauty of having short hair because it grows so quickly. I can have a bit of fun and then change it up again. And I love being able to do that. And so, oh, you had to actually still talk about your clothes. You had you shared um, a jumpsuit on Twitter recently and had yeah. like a massive response. It was a, again, it was one that you'd made yourself. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. I think people aren't interested in that aspect of my life. And I think as a professional, it's all got to be about cancer and resilience and how do you cope? But I thought, no, we'll just put this up there. And I got a thousand followers in a day from posting a picture of this outfit that I'd made. And it's like, wow, there is a, people just want a bit of fun and frivolity at the minute, I think. I think, yeah, I think partly because of the pandemic as well. But also, I think it's your way of of coping, isn't it? And your way of dealing with it as well. And I I don't wear a prosthetic. Um, I've got chronic nerve pain from the mastectomy. So bras really hurt. So although even though I'm quite flat chested, I'm still lopsided. And it's fun being able to tailor patterns so they don't gape. Because if you don't have a bosom and you wear a low neck top, you sit down, slump your shoulder and you're naked to the waist. So learning how to tweak things so they'll fit me, that's been really challenging. It's like that intellectual stimulus that I'm missing because I'm not operating. And that's, this is, you said that sewing's your way of carrying on as a surgeon. Yeah, definitely. Just being able to see a pattern and create something and see the end product. There's just that sense of achievement and wow I've made this and I'm now I've made quite a lot of clothes that just don't fit me it's the wrong fabric and it's really hard to say goodbye but I send them off the fabric gets recycled it's like it's a learning curve it's okay so yeah you better sort the Alexander McQueen fabric out. I know that'll be coming <laughs> for the summer I've oh the dress is beautiful I, I'll make sure I share a link when it's done but is there just to go back to sort of being diagnosed with cancer mm. what is there any advice that you you know you wish you'd been told that you you know that you saw anything you found out that you kind of thought oh yeah I should have been telling my patients this it's a great question I think the problem is when you're told you have cancer you take nothing in you're digesting it but your doctor has to give you so much information examine you to ask about your medical background book you in for treatment tell you what might happen and even though I was hearing all of it it's still going in in one ear and out the other and I've had women scream I've had women punch me I've had women run out the room crying when I tell them there's no every reaction is different and then it's only when you go home and you start to process it and for me it's how you live your life after treatment finishes so Most women with breast cancer get put into the menopause immediately, and that has a devastating effect on your sex life, but nobody talks about it. And the fact that after a cancer diagnosis, you're legally disabled and you have rights at work, but I had to find that out myself, and the importance of exercise. And I think 
You only know what you want to know when you're ready to hear it. Mm. The hardest bit, I think, is especially during COVID, anyone who's been given a diagnosis of any serious illness has to go home and be a doctor to the family because you have to remember what the doctor said and tell them so they understand. But often it's kind of gobbledygook and Chinese whispers. And I would love it if doctors would just ask patients, which websites, which apps did you Google? What did you find helpful? So I can give my future patients that list and say, I know you're going to go on your phone because I did. Go here, it's safe. And I had never looked at a breast cancer forum as a surgeon. Why would I need to do that? It's not my job. And then you realize that patients are asking things like, is it safe to have sex during chemo because I'm scared I'll make my husband's hair fall out? And you realize what patients are really asking and then you learn how you can help them. And it's great because so many doctors are now getting on Twitter and Instagram, sharing videos and sharing content and actually asking patients, what do you want to know? I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? I kind of, just to go back also to the men, you said about menopause because you sort of Mm. went straight into menopause. Yes. Uh, And you've said on that, it's kind of like menopause, you know, no one used to talk about menopause at all, you know. I I didn't even think about it until it happened to me. And now there are lots of people, you know, handing out information. And I think you said, well, it might be on Twitter that there are lots of experts out there, but they're not doctors. Exactly. It's almost become the next big thing to jump on. And there's, it's like menopause, t-shirts and vitamins and supplements. And a lot of people are only sharing their own experience. And I think it's really important anyone listening gets their recommendation and advice from a doctor. Um, he knows what they're talking about. Um, because you can get, you, people can be so gullible and buy into all these sorts of things that they don't need. And it is horrible for some people. And it is going to happen to you at some point in your life. Um, and we do need to talk about it. But it's just being wary what you're reading and making sure it is right for you. Yeah, no, there's a lot of meno marketing, we call Completely. it. Completely. And a lot of a lot of celebrities who are kind of, I'm the expert, I'll do a live on this, thinking actually, you don't have any medical training. And yes, you have your own personal experience, but it's, and it's really hard to weigh in as a doctor because you don't want to piss people off. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's really tricky at the moment. And so one of the things you say, you say you talk about stuff that other people avoid, like sex and intimacy. Yeah. What advice do you give? I think a lot of people who have been through ill health find their sex life changes. And that may be physically from either vaginal dryness or you've had radiotherapy or you've had surgery down there, your body image. Um, If you don't like yourself, it's hard to let someone close to you. You can lose your libido after the menopause. I wanted my husband to divorce me. And go and find a woman with two breasts and a healthy libido. Because I have no estrogen. I literally never want sex. I don't get turned on in season one of Bridgerton. Nothing happens. <laughs> and it's like, no, you're dry as a bone. Andrew Scott, you know, the hot priest and flea bag. Yeah, no, sorry. Can I just have another cup of tea? And in your 30s and 40s, that's really, really hard. And it's even harder if you're single. And I think it's doctors don't get taught how to talk about sex. So I had no idea that everyone should be using lube because it's fun, but you use a healthy lube with no additives. And vibrators and dilators can help relax the vaginal wall muscles and different ways of having sex. It doesn't have to be penetrative. And just all this kind of stuff that I learn from other women telling me that I then now share. It's little things like that and saying it may be different. And remember that your sex life does change as you get older. What you want when you're 50 is different to what you want when you're 30. And you may need a different kind of stimulation, but that's fine. And telling people it's okay to explore and to talk about it. 
But we don't. And we never tell our doctors there's a problem with our sex life because God, how embarrassing would that be? Which is just ridiculous. No, we don't. That's true. Well, we don't. We only get 10 minutes. <laughs> I know. You don't, you don't want to waste their time. You try and like, cram everything in. <laughs> and I think as a surgeon, my, my idea of high quality care was a pretty scar. I've had women flash me in Sainsbury's. Look at my breast. God, don't look at my trolley. Really? Yeah, I just was so thrilled. I, I recognise oh. the breast, but I don't recognise you. But you have, it's like, yes, I've done a good job. But actually, it's it's how they live when I finished with the side effects of treatment. And actually, how can I help them get their quality of life back? And I think it's just seeing the bigger picture for any illness. You don't know what you don't know. What are the unexpected positives that have come out of, of, of all of this? I think I've made... A huge group of friends through Twitter, actually. I wasn't on Instagram at the start, but I told Twitter I had cancer the day after. Um, I mainly tweeted about triathlons and baking. So by baking all the cake, I could do all the sport. And I was going to be bold and people would notice me. And I thought, I'm going to tell everybody because it's not a dirty secret. I'm not ashamed of it. And if I can help someone else come to terms with it, then great. And suddenly patients from all over the world gave me their tips and told me how to cope, what to drink during chemo, how to get a mastectomy bra if you're a 30D because they don't exist. And for me, it's that that joy of being able to help people and the messages people send me after hearing podcasts or talks has been amazing. But the, the big thing for me is it's made me much more balanced. My life was just work and yeah. I wasn't I wasn't giving anything back. So now I spend one day a week cleaning up pet shop poo at a rescue shelter. And I volunteer at Park Run just to give my time back without expecting anything in return. And I've got time just just to enjoy the garden and to actually look after myself properly. And I'm a much healthier person because of having cancer. Wow. I know you. one of the things you give advice on is uh, leading a more balanced life. Yeah. I'd quite like a few tips on that, please. So I... Because <laughs> my I, life isn't balanced at oh all. God, mine, at and, and I'm very good at... I'm balanced, I'm perfect, then three months later, can you just almost... Will my cancer come back so I can clear my diary and start again? Um, I kind of divide your life up into segments. I kind of call it the wheel of life. So you've got work and you've got money and you've got family and friends and you've got romance and you've got exercise and you've got charity. And most of us have got two or three areas that we're not very good at, whether we don't open the bank statements and we don't look at how much money we're spending or we don't see our friends. And it's kind of every once in a while, I think, right, okay, I've not phoned my friends for ages or I've not been to the gym today. These are little things that I can do to make me a more balanced person. And I have to put it in my diary. So you are going to go for a run at half six in the morning and it's there and I have to do it because I'm a terrible procrastinator. And a brilliant book actually is called Make Time. I can't Ooh. remember who did it. By Jake somebody. Um, make Time. Make yeah. Time. The guys who kind of help fund... Um, YouTube and Google Mail, who are basically telling you we spend far too much time on our phones. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> and to put your phones down, to put limits on them. Actually, life is passing you by. How to get work done, how to actually focus. It's brilliant. But again, every couple of months I go back because I've slipped. But I don't have phones in the bedroom anymore. I have an hour time limit on Instagram and Twitter. I put them away when I'm doing my one and a half hours of like proper serious work because I know I'm useless in the afternoons. Mm ways of saying you've got to look after yourself you've got to eat healthy you've got to exercise your phone does not control you mm. tell people you'll check your emails at four o'clock every afternoon and don't look at them before then and just those little ways of trying to stop us being yeah I mean I do, I do that I check emails at the start of the day and then at the end of the day occasionally if I kind of have a quiet period I might yeah nip in, but I try to be and I don't do emails on my phone I do See, not I'm check. terrible I'll yeah. open them but then I don't have the time to reply so then I mark them as unread so I'll go back to my laptop to then it's ridiculous 
so I, I had a thing from Microsoft Outlook saying you have you have had no free day where you haven't looked at emails after five o'clock. You are responding to emails every hour of the day and night. Oh, oh my goodness. Because that's kind of the downtime responding to requests. But I do do screen free Sunday. Yes, I know. And that, that is huge. Yeah, I think you have to, don't you? I think you have yeah. to have, you know, well, it used to be the weekend was free, but now it's just like one day. I know. <laughs> Claim it back slowly. Yeah. But it's, it's being okay to be bored. I was on a train on a Sunday thinking, what do I do? I've got four hours on a train and I can't look at social media. I'm going to have to read a book. And I used to love reading, but it's just that stare out the window and look at the world going by. Mm. Yeah, we need more of that, don't we? we I do. think actually that's one thing with the pandemic, wasn't it? It's sort of like the first lockdown, we all had to slow down. I mean, we were yeah. still on social media, but we had to sort of slow down, really. And-, and everyone's out walking and fresh air and just, yeah, it's good for the soul. And do you have, a, I'm kind of thinking other positives, like a, a renewed appreciation for for friends, family, simple, yeah. simple pleasures? So simple things. I, I've got a newfound respect for my body. I've never particularly liked it. Um, I've never liked my legs and my husband will say they're wonderful, but I don't get them out in public. And that's just my head being screwed up. Um, but I've got a newfound appreciation for what my body has been through. I mean, I was cycling in the Dolomites in Italy um, a month after finishing radiotherapy. It's like, wow, my body's amazing. Yeah, I need to look. I need to look after it, and really wanting to kind of wow. I don't like it. The scars. It's really hard. I don't feel feminine when I look at myself in the mirror, but I'm amazed at what it can do, and just the amazing support from family and friends. And often, there's there's a girl who's a woman who saw I'd had breast cancer on Twitter, and she knitted me an outfit for a Barbie doll, Wonder Woman. It sits in the back of all my Zoom calls. I hadn't seen her since we did our A-levels. And she found me on Twitter and sent me this in the post. And it's just little things like that. People just go the extra mile. It makes you cry. And I pass it on. I'll do something for somebody else. And it's just that the sense of friendship. It really connects you with people. That is lovely. Oh. And so what's your next project going to be? Have you, I wanted to ask you, because um, I'm thinking you need to write an autobiography. Cause Funny you it, should say that. <laughs> I've just been watching This Is Going To Hurt. And I'm thinking you could have a version of that, basically. That was so triggering because it was so realistic. It was, re- it was so good, wasn't it? I mean, it was so brilliant. I've done. worked for people like Adam and I've been shruti. I've been very close to doing what she did and I've had the complaints and the bullying and it's also triggering for my, so my, um, my stepdaughter had a baby in January last year and she found it really triggering having just given birth, but it was real. And I actually wrote my own medical memoir in lockdown, the story of what it was like as a woman in a man's world to be, be a surgeon where you are the only woman in the team dressed in pajamas right up next to men twice your age dealing with life and death situation and then I talk about the depression I had as a consultant and then getting cancer and I'm finally going to launch it with um, Unbound so at the end of April I'll be launching a crowdfunding campaign Um, the medical market the medical memoir market is really tricky and a lot of publishers just said there's so much out there so I'm hoping that enough people want to pre-order the book that I can bring it out next year. So watch this space. Oh, I, you know what? I absolutely think it's, yeah, you're going to do it. I know you are. I think I will. And then mm. um, planning season two and three of the podcast. Ah, so have you got any, yes, your, and your podcast is called Don't Ignore the Elephant. I've got some, I, I might, I'm actually going to be the guest 
on one of my podcasts. A very good friend is going to interview me. He knows everything about me because um, <laughs> I think a, people might be interested. That's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've got some amazing people lined up to talk about um, depression and suicide and body image and the gender pay gap. And um, yeah, really excited. But I've learned how hard it is. You're very good. I've learned how hard it is to interview someone when you are listening to them and reacting and then working out what to say next. It's a lot harder than it looks, isn't it? It is hard. And it's also when you do it online like this, actually, sometimes I find it hard because you sort of don't know when someone is going to finish talking and then yeah. you end up sort of talking over them a bit because yeah. uh, we can't actually see each other. We're just sort of... No. Um, so that's slightly tricky. I think I always just like to get people that, do the talking yeah. <laughs> and I just sit here <laughs> it's much easier and then a little bit of travel yeah finally <laughs> so um I am going I'm going to New York tomorrow Fantastic. I am um, it's very extravagant I'm going to see Hugh Jackman on Broadway um oh, my, that would be brilliant that the, the be beauty brilliant. of retiring early is I get a little bit of a lump sum so that going to that but then I'm going to go to the Galapagos Islands and you can all hate me because oh I would hate God. me if I heard someone saying no. it, but I, <laughs> that is the dream. Th- that's I mean. my retirement holiday. I've ever since I started watching David Attenborough when I was seven, obsessed with nature and birds and wildlife, and I can't, still can't quite believe I'm going. But yeah, it's going to be amazing. It will be amazing. Oh my God, that would be. Oh God, that is top of the list, isn't it? Yeah, and part of me just wants to shut off from social media and just have three weeks of just exploring. Then there's that. No, people want to know what you're doing. Oh, I don't know. I think I might sort of shut it down and just... Yeah, I think so. Just enjoy it. You can take pictures and then share them afterwards when you come back. But I hate you spend your life taking photos and videos and you're not actually in the moment. You're recording it and you never look at them again. No, it's true, actually. And I try not to... I mean, I try not to get... I think Instagram is really bad for that. It just really sort of sucks you in and I hate and, it the you, algorithm you've got yeah. to keep posting you've got uh, to do this and, yeah and, keep but, feeding feeding the machine but you need it it's kind of almost part of your job now if you're in the public eye you have to have that profile and I it hate absolutely it absolutely is yeah no yeah um, I, I, I I do have a love-hate relationship with it but again sort of, the, the community when people reply and ask you questions and you can help them that's just amazing yeah I mean that's what drives you and keeps you going that's what I mean I'm not helping people in the way that you are helping people, oh but you but, are but it's sort of, you are amazing because it's people like you who say this is what I can wear I can wear what the hell I like and it's okay <laughs> but you do you it's do like, it feels like a very small thing <laughs> compared no, but it's to huge your... because I think which shop do you go in in your 40s and 50s and you don't want to pick up something that your niece has just bought and you both turn up at a party wearing the same thing and it's just someone opening your eyes and saying wear what you like oh thank you I'll take that just giving myself a little pat on the back they do huge pat on the back (laughs) then I'll stop sorry yeah all right no no continue please actually I want to ask you your style tips now okay do you have any style tips for women who've had a mistake to me what would your what would your advice be I think the advice is to be kind to yourself because time is a great healer. The day before my mastectomy, I was walking around Debenhams, which used to exist, looking at the post-mastectomy oh, yeah. bras. <laughs> I know. And the problem is for to wear a prosthesis, it has to be a full cut bra. So you wear anything that's vaguely low cut, the bra will be obvious. So I'm looking at these really ugly bras thinking I'm going to have to throw out half my wardrobe. And then I was thinking, right, tops with ruffles on one side that I can hide it. And there was nothing. And I was just crying thinking, this is it. I can never leave a house. And it took time to go out and actually have my shoulders back and think people are going to look at me, but that's okay. 
And the thing I hate is that my normal nipple points, I hate showing my nipples in public because I don't wear a bra and I got just fed up of sticking things on them. And you finally realize that no one is looking. You just learn to dress what's right for you. Often a bright pattern or something with a bit of a ruffle or a bit of decoration can help. Baggy clothes are often worse. Um, And often something that's a little fitted can hide it. I think it's just, it's trying a load of things on and having an open mind. And one day you'll get to the point where you think, actually, I don't care if anyone's looking at me. I love this. I'm going to wear it. And actually finding a good tailor because often they can help tweak things just to, I had a shirt that was made um, from a tailor with like a man's side on the left and a woman's side on the right. And it looks a bit odd because it doesn't have that, that fitting, but there are things you can do to change the clothes. But I would just say, have a bit of fun. Um, It is really hard though especially if you've got a very large breast on the other side and it's getting the right bra so that the prosthesis doesn't pop out because they can be really, really heavy. So a 36C breast weighs about 500 grams. That's why wearing a bra is really important. Yeah, and I I spoke, known for years, Debbie Bliss, who I think yes, you know, yeah, network designer. Oh, God, she was hilarious because she said she literally, she started to try to wear a prosthesis yeah. and then kind of one day was in the pub and just got fed up with it and like took it out and flung it across the room. <laughs> well, there's a great company called Knitted Knockers who will knit and crochet them with or without a nipple, which are much, much lighter. And they make them out of shower scrunchies if you want to go swimming. Oh, Knitted Knockers. I'll- knitted Knockers, yeah. And you can volunteer to knit for them if you like. And you... you women can say I'm a 36D and they'll knit you one in the color you like it's amazing how how brilliant is that I know but I think I think tops with a bit of a bit of decoration a bit of something on them just do detract the eye away from what isn't there yeah yeah and shirts because when I spoke to Debbie as well she was saying she actually quite likes she was always a bit kind of tomboyish so she doesn't mind sort of the gender neutral look but I can imagine it, yeah, it depends on the it's completely down to the individual isn't it so it's all because she was said she loves a big shirt I'm not a huge shirt person I've got a denim shirt I've had for years but actually having an open shirt or a waistcoat or a gilet can again it's a layer that just puts a bit of padding and disguises that area of you again cardigans are great for that because it's just the extra layer of fabric that makes it a little bit less obvious yeah. but then you have the problem with the hot flushes and I'm constantly stripping off where did I put my jumper? Oh, off we go again. Yeah. It's all about the layering and never a polo neck. <laughs> I went back into polo necks again. Are you? Oh, well, I only can't. the sort of like jersey ones. Yeah. You know, the sort of like stretchy ones. I know, jersey. yeah. But when you've yeah. got glasses as well, you can get them off, but then you can't get them on without taking your glasses off. And then it's good about that. <laughs> oh, oh, well, thank you. Thank you for that advice. And I will definitely be checking out Knitted Knockers. Okay, going to ask you the grown-up guide questions now. These are okay. the questions that I ask all my guests. I'm exhausted. How tired are you? I think I am pretty drained at the minute. And I think it's the kind of pandemic has given people waves of apathy. Mm. Um, I'm definitely in need of a good break just to put the computer away and just sightsee and do nothing. Yeah, You can hate me. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's exactly. I think my problem is that's I say music yes. to my ears. That's yeah. what I want to do right now. I say yes to everything and I have to learn to say no. And actually, I'm a patient. I have to give myself time. How do you feel about getting older? You see, this is crazy. In my head, I'm in my 30s. And then I think I'm 48. I'm nearly 50. I don't look like I thought I looked like when I was 50. Age is just a number. Mm. Um, and for me, every year is a gift. So if I make it to four, if I make it to fifty, then that's ten years since my diagnosis. So yeah. I don't think I'd get there back in two thousand and fifteen. So growing older is a precious gift for me. It is. 
And what are you reading right now? When you're not Ooh. looking at your phone, what are when you I'm reading? Not, I've, got two, I've got The Hidden Life of Trees, which is a really interesting book about the history of trees and how they talk to each other through yes. the roots and how the canopy of leaves never touch. And then I'm finally going to start How the One-Armed Girl Swept a House. Is that the title? It came out a couple of years ago. I've got that to read as well. And then a, a couple of cheap, trashy American thrillers for the plane. <laughs> I, I will read a book in about four hours. I'm a very, very fast reader. It drives my husband mad. What are you watching on TV? Bridgerton. Oh, yes. Bridgerton season two. Yeah. And Starstruck. I'm just finishing off Starstruck, which I love. I haven't seen it. it it's, an, it's a. You've not seen Bridgerton season no, one? No. Oh, there was a lot of sex. I told my mum to watch it, then I had to tell her, please don't watch any more episodes. <laughs> Season two is a, is a different kind of a love story. Um, but Starstruck's about an Australian girl who's kind of backpacking and living in London for a year who has a one night stand on New Year's Eve who turns out to be a film star. I have seen that. I have seen that. And they've that. just done season yeah. two and we're hooked. So, oh, right. No, I saw a couple of the first series. Um, it's She's very funny, actually. I, she, I think she writes name. it. Yeah, she does. And I can't remember what her name is. Okay, favourite food and drink? Drink is a cup of tea, quite weak with milk. I used to love gin and tonic. Um, but after chemo, I get drunk really quickly and hangovers remind me of chemo. So I don't drink a lot. Favorite food. Now, this is really hard. I do love freshly baked sourdough when it's come straight out of the oven with lashings of the National Trust sour cherry curd. Ooh. Seriously, it's addictive. I could eat it by the spoon. I think freshly baked <laughs> bread and sour cherry curd. Oh, yeah. No, I love bread. A cheese on toast is sort of my, one of my favourite things. It's just so comforting, isn't it? Mm, delicious. Okay, now talk me through your outfit. What are you wearing today? I am wearing a pair of well-worn Levi's and they don't make them anymore. I use Because I'm pear-shaped, they did a demi-curve for women like me who've got big hips and a small waist and I'm running out of pears on eBay. But they're well-worn with a couple of um, dog tears in them. And I've got a leopard print jersey top that I made. Have you got an overlocker then? Yes, and a cover stitch machine. <laughs> Mm, fantastic so you can run up you can run up loads of jersey numbers yeah because the first things I started making were clothes for my step-grandchildren because they're so quick and easy to do and then just simple basic t-shirts with a really good modal jersey thank you Claudia Winkleman for telling me what to buy um, <laughs> and they just well they just look so professional when you can finish them properly so yeah three sewing machines you've got a studio well I've, I've got a dining room at the end of our house that I've now commandeered um but it's my sewing room and my husband is very accepting. He never goes in. He learned, he's learned his lesson. Do you ever make him any clothes? I do. I've made him a couple of shirts. And actually the pattern was Negroni and that's his favourite cocktail. Um, and it's, <laughs> it's quite nice being able to fit and tweak and he can choose the fabric and you've got something that no one else will wear. Oh, and then I got him to make a jumper for his brother for Secret Santa at Christmas. So it's great fun showing him. I think you're a surgeon. You should know how to use a needle and thread. I think, no, it's very different. And how do you know when an outfit's right? That's really hard. I, I will often second guess myself. And I'm like most women, I guess you'll put it on and then you'll wear everything else in the wardrobe and come back to the first thing that you put on. And I think it's, it makes me feel good. It makes me smile. I don't pick out bits I don't like. I just look at the image and say, yeah, you've got it. And generally, there's always a little bit of yellow somewhere. <laughs> 
that's you know what that's not a color I wear actually yellow I tend to wear sort of blue blues and greens I think though I have been wearing more color recently getting a bit I never wore it until I went gray it didn't suit me and now it really does and I love it and I remember got a thing Prue Leaf on a podcast saying there's something about people wearing a bright coat that just makes you smile mm. when everyone getting off the train and is in black and I'm in bright yellow or bright orange it just makes me feel good and you get compliments yeah it's so nice when someone says god I love your coat do you think oh wear this again yeah and what what would you say what's your style signifier is it your glasses is the it glasses your, yeah because you always often wear like a kind of bold lipstick as well yeah it's a but glasses and a bright lip although I've gotten out of the habit because of the mask so I have to get the lip coat back out again to stop it smudging <gasps> it's the glasses some, you know what, someone mentioned that because we were talking about masks being sort of off, though we're still wearing yeah. them on public transport and things. But, and someone someone in the comments box on That's Not My Age said, did anyone try, do you remember lip coat that we used yeah. to have when we were teenagers? Did anyone try that to see if it's worked It's great. I've got bottles everywhere that's stinging whilst you wait for it to dry with your lips open. And it works with a mask. Yeah, it, yeah, it does. It's brilliant. But it's the glasses. My glasses vary depending on how long my hair is um but when I lost my hair everything looked different and when my when the book came out I had an advance I thought right I want a new pair of glasses because I'm an author and they came out the bottom <laughs> of a locked cupboard it's an amazing guy called Steenie um in a opticians in Soho he's just an absolute star and he pulled these out and he said they are 3d printed titanium mesh I know and I, I, I am know a 3d printed <laughs> the eye company I am a 3d printed statue <laughs> I am a 3D printed foot tie statue, so I now have 3D printed glasses. And everywhere I go, whichever country, people talk to me in that language because they <laughs> think I'm native. It's the wrong word. And I just, I love them. That's a good, that is a very good place to get your eyes tested and buy a pair of glasses, isn't they it? They just, yeah. they have glasses. And Steenie is amazing because you can't choose them when you're blind as a bat. He will pick out a pair. And you'll go, no, 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 never. And then you end up wearing them. He just knows what suits you. Yeah, I went there for my reading glasses. And literally, it was like, try those on. And it was a pair I I was just like, really? Oh. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And the first pair that they sort of handed to me was the pair that I ended up buying. And I was like, let's try a few more. And they were like, "Mm, they're still the best. (laughs) And I think it's no matter what I'm wearing, how I'm feeling, I know I look good because I've got glasses and lipstick. Final question. What's the single most important piece of advice you've ever been given? This is really easy and it's to be kind to yourself. I think when you work for others, we're often at the bottom of the pile and we don't look after ourselves. And I've I've had depression. I had depressed again at Christmas and it was really hard just to say no. And my GP was fantastic and he just keeps saying, be kind to yourself. And that was from your GP? Yeah, um, I had depression back in 2014. Just the stress of telling 10 women a day they had breast cancer. Yeah. And going home and dealing with all that negative emotion and doing that twice a week, every week. It just built up and I got really ill. And it was the same GP when I was down again at Christmas. And he just said, just be kind to yourself. It's okay. It's like, yeah, I'm okay. I've done enough. I'm existing and that's fine. And every day is a fresh start. So, yeah. Give yourself a break. That is fantastic. Thank you so much, Liz. And thank you. Thank you also for taking the time when I know that you are busy getting ready to to travel tomorrow. I know. I have to go and pack for my husband and see what he's left for me. (laughs) Pack the Negroni shirt. I will. I will. But again, just thank you so much for everything you do. Seriously, you are inspiring women like me who have to restyle themselves. 
after illness to think, where do we go? And think, right, we go to your page. Oh, well, that is very kind. Thank you very much. And it's been really lovely to talk to you. Thanks, Liz. You're welcome. Thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed the interview. Please come back soon. And it'd be absolutely brilliant if you could review the podcast on iTunes and also on that'snotmyage.com. I know that sounds like a lot, but I would appreciate it very much. And don't forget, it's not about age, it's about style. 